If you uh, have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Samuel. If you don't, you, the verses will be on the screen. And there's also Bibles in the seat back in front of you if you'd like to use one of those. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one. So there was this guy. Now, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. He wasn't the brightest light in the chandelier. But he wanted to be a detective. So his friends encouraged him, go ahead and go down to the police station and interview for the job. So he went down there and he wanted to interview for the job. He said, well, we've got to ask you a few questions. Question number one, what is one plus one? He said, 11. He said, well, that's not what we were looking for, but we can see how you came up, came up with that, so it's okay. All right, question number two. What are two days of the week that begin with the letter T? He said, today and tomorrow. <laughs> he said, again, that's not quite what we're looking for, but we can see how you came up with that. So here's the third question. Who killed Abraham Lincoln? Well, he thought for a while, and he couldn't think of the answer, and he said, I, I tell you what, this is a hard question, so why don't you go home, think about it, and then come back later and give us the answer. So he went home, and after he went home, his friends came by and said, hey, how did the interview go? He said, great, they already got me working on a murder case. <laughs> well, it is important that we have some understanding of history. I think it's really important that we have an understanding of biblical history. And we don't just pull verses out of context. So we understand the whole story. We understand enough of the big stories that we can put things into context. And that's why we're doing this series entitled God's Grand Story, where we're taking the story of the Bible and trying to put it in pieces that we can see how it all fits together. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. If you remember... We began by dividing the Old Testament into six parts. The six parts of the Old Testament are, first of all, there's beginnings. Beginnings is the book of Genesis, creation, creation of man and woman, and beginnings. And then there's the wilderness wanderings under the leadership of Moses. We have four books, Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Then after... Moses dies, the next leader that rises up is Joshua. He leads the Israelites into the promised land. So the third section of the Old Testament we're calling promised land. Now, after the time of Joshua, there's a time of judges for about 300 years before begins the time of the kings. Now, we're going to divide that into the fourth part is the united kingdom. That's when Israel was under just one king, united and it only lasted for three kings, Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. Then after that fourth part of the Old Testament, the fifth part is the divided kingdom, where Israel, Israel is divided into a north and south kingdom. And then there's a final sixth part of the Old Testament, that is the captivity and the coming kingdom. And that's the Old Testament. And right now we're in the section we've entitled the United Kingdom, where Israel's under the reign of of one king. And the first king is King Saul, and we're going to pick up his story today. Now, as we consider the life of King Saul, remember the time period is about 900 BC. Kind of puts you in a little bit of an idea of history. And at this point, Samuel the prophet 
you have two books in your Bible, First and Second Samuel. Well, Samuel the prophet is leading in Israel. And he was getting old. And so the elders of Israel came to him and asked him for something. Let's read what they asked him for. First Samuel chapter 8, verse 5 through 7. They said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. So now, even after Samuel prays, and then he delivers a strong caution to the people about their request. But they are adamant about it. They want a king. So later on, they say this in verse 19 to Samuel. No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard, heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. Now, God knew that the trouble that it was going to cause Israel to have a king. But he went ahead and he's going to allow for it. Now, at the same time that's happening, we, we learn about the story of a man named Saul. Now, Saul is introduced to us in 1 Samuel chapter 9. At this point, he's living in his father's household. His father's name is Kish. He's the son of Kish. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, later on, he refers, himself, he refers to it as the smallest of the tribes and his clan, the least of the clans. Now, the Bible tells us that Saul was a, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. In fact, he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else in Israel. Now, unknown to him at this time, the Israelites are asking for a king. And Samuel's still wrestling with this, and he's still praying uh, to the Lord about it. In fact, let's read what it says in 1 Samuel 8, 9. After Samuel prayed to the Lord, here's what the Lord said to him. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel is to speak a warning to the Israelites. Okay, you're going to get a king, but you need to understand a few things. You need to understand that this king is going to take your sons as his warriors. This king is going to take your daughters into his household to serve his household. This king is going to reach into your choicest crops and your livestock and take them for himself. And this king is going to take many of you as his servants and slaves. And even after all this warning... The Israelites still want a king. God relents, and he chooses Saul. Now, at this time, the story tells us that Saul, again, has no idea this is going on. And he's out searching for some missing donkeys. And the prophet Samuel comes to him. This is a private meeting. They eat together. And the next day, Samuel is told that he is 
going to anoint Saul king. And he does. Privately anoints Samuel, anoints Saul as the king. And then he tells Saul to go join this group of prophets in a place called Gibeah for a time of worship. So Saul goes among these prophets. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He prophesies. He's touched by God. Now, seven days later, Samuel, the prophet, gathers the nation at a a place called Mizpah. And he announces that according to their demands, God's going to give you a king. And so he tells who that's going to be. He singles out the tribe of Benjamin, then the clan of Kish, and then he speaks about Saul. Now, at this time, Saul is hiding among some of the supplies. But God reveals who he is, and and, and, Sam, and Saul quickly becomes the leader, the first king of Israel. And as a leader, he leads the men uh, into battle, rescuing other men at Jabesh Gilead. He calls the people to worship the Lord for their success, honor God. And he is confirmed as king, finally at his home in Gilgal. Now, his reign lasts about 42 years as king. And much of that time, Israel is at war. Israel is at war with countries like Philistia and Moab and Edom and Amalek. And Saul and his son Jonathan become great leaders in battle, and they wage many successful campaigns in battle. But Saul had two gigantic public sins. That uh, and these two sins are this. Number one is he offered up burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the battlefield when he was supposed to wait for Samuel the prophet to come do this ritual. He was not allowed to do this, but he did it anyway. Secondly, he refused to destroy Amalek as God had commanded him to. These are two public sins. Now these two wrong decisions and sinful decisions led to a fracture between Saul and God and between Saul and the prophet Samuel. And in this this fracture, this alienation, Saul became very depressed and very angry. At the same time, there's a young man by the name of David is introduced in this story. Now, we know David will become the next king, but right now he's a young man living, serving in Saul's household. He was a singer of songs and praise songs. And it so happened that even in Saul's agitated, angry, manic, depressive state, when David praised, played the praise songs, it brought comfort to Saul. So David became very popular in the household and very popular in the army, of course, after slaying Goliath, the giant. He becomes very popular. Very popular and begins to lead all kinds of battles. And eventually, his popularity in battle begins to overshadow Saul's popularity. And Saul becomes enraged with jealousy toward David. In fact, he tries to kill David. And he becomes so obsessed with David, he chases him all throughout Israel trying to find him and kill him. Now, Saul's acts of disobedience eventually cause the Lord to replace him as king, take away his kingship. And he's, so he's replaced on the throne. And his final days of Saul's life are just filled with this obsessive, manic, angry hunt for David. Now, toward the end, the very end, after Samuel has now died, 
the prophet has died. And the Philistines are mounting an attack against the Israelites. Saul desperately needs counsel, advice. Samuel is gone. Instead of turning to God, Saul goes to a diviner, someone that's part of the occult. He goes to a seance. And he asks at the seance that the spirit of dead Samuel could be called up so he could ask him a question. And in the seance, the spirit of Samuel does come up. And Samuel actually speaks to Saul, his, his spirit, and tells him that the Israelite army is going to be defeated. And sure enough, it happened the very next day it was, and both Saul and his son Jonathan are killed. So there is a summary of the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now, as you read, as you read his story, it's a very troubling story. But there are some important lessons, I think, about the kind of leader that God will bless among his people and the kind of leader that God will choose to replace. Now, with this room is full of leaders. We got so many in this room that lead ministries here in the church. We have so many in this room that lead ministries outside the church. But we have a church full of leaders. It's important that we understand, as so many of us are leading so many ministries and so many of us are, you know, hoping to be able to do that in the future, that we understand the kind of leader that God is going to replace. We want to be the kind of leader God blesses, not the kind of leader he must replace. And so these same principles that we're going to see in Saul's life apply to us today. So I want to walk through those principles in just a moment, but I want to pull them all out of this story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. So let's just follow the story as I read it. And I want you to see as I go through it, if you can notice four key things that Saul did that caused God to have to replace him as a leader. 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Verse 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Javilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people at the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. And Samuel said to Saul, 
I'm sorry, Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil Sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion as, as, is as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. So Saul is replaced as king. So let's see what Saul did to lose his place of leadership. There's four major mistakes that he made that caused God to replace him. Here's number one. The first one is that he built a monument to himself. 1 Samuel 15, 12. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. See, evidently Saul was more interested in getting a name for himself and glorifying himself than he was in making God's name famous. And by the way, think about it too. God had already given him so much honor. I mean, God already took him in his own, in his own words. He was from the smallest tribe and the least of the clans. And who's he? And God made him king. And that was not enough. He still wanted to exalt himself and made a monument unto himself. And that leads us to the first way that someone, someone can lose their leadership anointing. Number one is being more concerned about whether you're getting the credit rather than God getting the glory. You know, after the Cowboys won the Super Bowl back when Jimmy Johnson was coaching, they came into the locker room and they interviewed him. And he said something I thought was really pretty profound. They asked him the question, 
can the Cowboys repeat? Here's what he said. He said, the only thing that can make us go bad is if the players aren't getting what they think they deserve. See, that same thing can happen in ministry when, when, when people start to think, I'm not getting the credit I deserve. I'm not getting appreciated or valued like I deserve. Then you're on a slippery slope to needing to be replaced as a leader. Many years ago, we signed a covenant of, of Christian leaders in Arlington. We had 99 pastors and leaders signed a covenant. We had just four points we agreed on. The first point was this. We covenant to make Jesus famous in our city. We don't need any more famous pastors. We don't need any more famous churches. We don't need any more celebrities in the church. We need to make Jesus famous. See, what can happen is a very subtle thing where someone starts ministry as a leader and they just want Jesus to be glorified. And after a while, it starts to be about them. And they want the credit. And they want to build some kind of monument to themselves. And when you start to do that, you have come to a place where you're on a slippery slope to losing your leadership anointing and needing to be replaced. Well, let's look at the next one. There's a second thing that we see that Saul does that disqualifies him as leader. So Saul tries to persuade Samuel that he had these noble intentions for why he didn't kill all the best of the sheep and the oxen, that he wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. Let's read it again, 1 Samuel 15 and 19. Here's what Samuel says to Saul. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? See, why did they rush upon it? Because they want, those who sacrifice get to eat the meat. That's what that was all about. Yes, they wanted a burnt offering. They wanted to cook the meat. They wanted to eat the meat. They delighted more in the meat of sheep and oxen than they did in obeying and honoring the Lord. That leads us to the second way you can lose your leadership anointing and need to be replaced. Number two, start rationalizing disobedience so you can have more pleasure and more comfort. And I think, you know, a lot of times if you've been in leadership for a long time, you can get pretty good at rationalizing disobedience because you want to have more pleasure and comfort. Now, we all enjoy pleasure and comfort. But if we have to choose between pleasure and comfort and obedience, then, of course, we must always choose obedience. But what can happen is the leader rationalizes their disobedience so they can have the pleasure and comfort. And it's easy to slip into Leaders, leaders need to be praying. You cannot be a leader without a prayer life. And you can begin to rationalize your prayerlessness. Rationalize your prayerlessness when really, in all honesty, you just kind of got lazy and you'd rather just veg in front of the TV. And so you start to rationalize and how you're too busy to make that prayer meeting. we got a prayer meeting tonight, five to six. How many people are going to think they're too busy for this prayer meeting? I mean, we need, we got a country we desperately need to pray for. Pray for. We need to be at this prayer meeting. And so there's, it's easy for us to rationalize we, why we certain, don't do certain things. I think I've seen so many rationalize why they don't, they don't give their tithe to the church when really they've, they've, they've never even taken the time to make a budget or even honestly do the math on your 
finances to see what 10% is that God set up for the, how the churches are to function and ministry to function. So we rationalize, well, I just can't do it. I can't afford it. Well, we never even looked at it. We never even tried to organize it. Or we rationalize we, why we, can't, no, we can no longer lead a small group when really we just don't want people coming to our house anymore because then I've got to clean the house. And we start, we just, there's all kinds of ways we rationalize not fulfilling a calling. And, uh, and so when you begin to do that, when you begin to rationalize it, you're on a slippery slope of losing your leadership anointing and needing to be replaced. That's where Saul was. All right, let's look at the third one. A third thing that Saul does to cause him to lose his leadership anointing, let's read it, 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, rebellion is as the sin of divination, and its subordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So why is rebellion and disobedience as the, as the sin of divination? Have you ever wondered? See, think about this. Divination is seeking to know what to do in a way that ignores the word of God, the counsel of God. It's saying, well, God says this, but I think I'll consult another source. See what it says. Ouija board or tarot cards or whatever. So divination is when I decide to go to another source for direction, ignoring God's word and what he says about it. That's divination. That's disobedience, but it's equal to divination. And not only do I go to another source, and it can be divination, that other source can be myself. And I pit my wisdom up against God's. And now it's idolatry. So anytime we uh, choose to consult ourselves or another source rather than God, we're guilty of divination or idolatry is what it's saying. And that leads us to the third way we can lose our leadership anointing. Number three, we start consulting and following the wisdom of self rather than listening and obeying the word of God. Real simple. This afternoon, I'll, you know, I'll leave right after the service, go to the airport, and go to Kenya, where I'll be with these pastors. And I've done this in several countries. And I hear this every time I do it, because what I do is I teach out of the Bible how to do church and how to do ministry from the Bible. And every time I do that, I have pastors come up to me and, and say to me, I never knew you could, you could learn how to do ministry from the Bible. I'm, I promise you. And I'm thinking, well, where have you been learning it from? See, we need to get our instruction on how to do ministry, how to do church, how to do life, how to do relationships, everything from the Bible. And when a leader begins to pit his wisdom up against what God says, then he's on that slippery slope of needing to be replaced as a leader. And I want to give a special warning uh, to young people, especially today here. I want you to understand, you know, those in your late teens, 20s, 30s, even 40s, it doesn't matter what is politically correct. It doesn't matter what is cool. It doesn't matter what your peers believe. What matters is what God's word says about that subject. 
That's what matters. You know, there's, and there's this great, you know, thing happening in our culture where so many professing Christian young people are having a, are, are, you know, having a whole different view of key issues than the Word of God. And take example, it doesn't matter what, you know, what the culture says about homosexuality. It's what does God's word say about it? It doesn't matter what the culture says about transgenderism. It's what does God's word say about it? It doesn't matter what the culture says about being male and female. It's what does God's word say about it? It doesn't matter what the culture says about abortion. It's what does God's word say about it? It doesn't matter what the culture says about racism. It's what does God's word say about it? And so we have to be, if we're going to be the kind of leaders that God can entrust with kingdom power, we've got to be those who, you know, someone says, why won't you change? My response is, I can't. It's not that I won't, I can't. God's word says it. And we've got to be leaders and we, that will not uh, give in to the culture of our day. And so let me give you one more. We see in the life of Saul that Cause someone, this principle could cause someone to lose their leadership anointing. Let's read 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Why does Saul obey the people instead of God? Why? Because Saul feared the people instead of God. He feared the human consequences of his obedience more than he feared divine consequences of his disobedience. The Bible calls this the fear of man. This is the fourth way you can disqualify yourself as a spiritual leader and need to be replaced. Start fearing the displeasure of people more than the displeasure of God. And again, I want, to, I want to challenge all of our elders, couples here, and pastors, and small group leaders, and Sunday school teachers, and ministry team leaders. In this church, we live to please God. We are not people pleasers in this church, and we won't be. We've signed up to live for an audience of one. We, we, we want to honor what the Lord says. And I tell you, I'll make a commitment to you to this, this day. I will commit to you. I commit to you to not manipulate you. And I also commit to you to not let you manipulate me. How about that? Is that a deal? See, when a leader starts trying to please people instead of God, you begin to, it's a slippery slope of losing your leadership anointing. The Bible calls that fear of man. Fear of man is, can immobilize us to, when we should be taking action, we don't, we're immobilized. When we should be speaking, we're not, we gagged up because we're afraid of what people may think of us. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, a trap, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. You know, and the way to free ourselves from the fear of man is to change that fear to the fear of God. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So live your life in light of that day. That day when you're going to stand and give an account to Jesus. What a day this is going to be. It's going to be a real day. I mean, his hair's white as wool and he's got a robe white down to the, the crown that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his face 
you know, shines like the sun. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And you're going to look into this glorious person one day. And only what he says about your life is going to matter. And so we live for him. We live for, for that day. And so I want to invite the worship team up here as we close. Because I want this just to be a, a ministry time uh, as we close with a song. Let me invite everyone to stand as they come. Because there needs to, you know, we need to have time. When we come to church services, there needs to be time to do business with God. It needs to be, there needs to be a time where we're in the house of God, with the spirit of God, with the word of God, and God is speaking to us. And we got to be able to say, you know, I don't, I don't really, I'm not concerned with what people around me think right now. I'm doing business with God. As I want you to imagine that this whole front of the church is like an altar. And if you need to just confess any of these sins to the Lord, and during this worship time, just come up and just bow before the Lord and give it to him. And let me remind you of those four areas. Number one, being more concerned about whether you're, you're getting the credit rather than God getting the glory. Number two, rationalizing disobedience so you can have more pleasure and more comfort. Number three, consulting and following the wisdom of self rather than listening to and obeying the word of God. And number four, fearing the displeasure of people more than the displeasure of God. So if any of those, if God is speaking to you about any of those, and you need to confess that just during a song, come on up here and just before the Lord, just lay it out before the Lord so we can all walk out of here with a clean slate and be ready to be used by the Lord. thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all have gone before us and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Your name is the highest your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions. Your name stands above them all. And the angels cry, Holy, all creation.
That uh, as you've heard all of these, all of these confessions, we thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you for your cleansing. We pray, Lord, you'd use us mightily this week to honor your name everywhere we go. Pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody agrees with that. Says, Amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day and a great week. Don't forget Grace Cafe.